Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. Well, it is that time of year again, my friends. It is the time of year that takes place, uh, at least in our household, uh, probably starting the day after Halloween (laughs) and goes all the way through Christmas, where we have probably what's about a daily conversation with our son, Benjamin. He's five. And Benjamin comes to us almost every day with uh, a series of questions that are always followed by a lament. And uh, here's how that conversation kind of goes. Ben comes to us and he, he starts with a question. He says, is today Christmas? Most days we have to say, no, no, Ben, today's not Christmas. So another question, then he goes, well, when is Christmas? And we say, well, Ben, Christmas is on December 25th. Another question, he says, well, how many days away is that? And depending on the day he's asking, we answer, you know, it's 20 days away. 19 days away. It's 18 days away. You know, he asks a lot. But then comes the lament, because no matter how many days away Christmas is, it's too many. So lament, he goes, oh, that is just so far away. Ben doesn't like to wait for Christmas. No kid likes to wait for Christmas. None of us like to wait for Christmas. Frankly, we don't like to wait for anything. Most of us were not particularly fond of waiting, and yet there's so much waiting to be done in the world, right? All of us, all of us have multiple experiences on a daily basis, weekly basis of waiting. You wait when you get stuck in a, in a traffic jam. You wait when you call a restaurant or a, a company to, to order something or pay a bill and, and somebody answers and you get put on hold and yet they all have the same strange soundtrack they play while you're waiting. You wait when you go to the, the doctor, right? They have a whole room dedicated to that very purpose. They call it the waiting room. You wait as you listen to a sermon and the preacher just goes on and on and on. You just really never know when it's going to come to an end. Not here, right? But, you know, other times you've had that. All of us wait. And yet we're not very good at it, right? Most of us. Most of us don't like having to wait. Disneyland, uh, Disney World, they've gotten kind of genius at this, right? There's a lot of waiting to be done at Disney, but they've gotten good at helping us do it. They put up those signs, you know, you've seen those, like you're waiting in line for the Jungle Cruise ride, and you see the sign that says, you know, from this point on, it will be another three days until you get on the Jungle Cruise ride. Wouldn't it be great if there were, like, signs like that in real life? Like, from this point on, it'll be six months until you find a spouse. Or, or from this point on, it'll be four years until your kids grow up. Or from this point on, it'll be ten years until your spouse grows up. So the problem with waiting is that it's, it's just not that we don't like it. it. It's just that we don't know when now will come. And the problem is that now may never come. We may live in the not yet for the rest of our lives, and that drives us crazy. It's 
hard to wait. Well, we know that waiting is a part of life, and, and we certainly know that waiting is it's part of the Christian life. As you read through Scripture, every person who has ever known, ever followed God, has had a time, has had a season in their life when they've had to wait. We're going to meet a couple of those such people today in our scripture we read today, and and we're going to enter into their season of waiting. And as we do, I think we're going to get some good wisdom, some good insight, some hopefully good encouragement as we go through our own seasons of waiting. So we're going to look at their story. Their story begins in the the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting at verse 5. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. We'll pause there for a second. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were waiting. And they were waiting in a couple different ways. First thing they're waiting for is for a savior. See, Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they come from this priestly lineage. They were, they were part of this faithful remnant of the people of Israel who'd been waiting on God for very, very long time. Really kind of brief Bible overview here. Uh, we got to go backwards in time, about 2,000 years before Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. And 2,000 years before them, God had made a promise. God made this promise to a man named Abraham. God promised Abraham that, that through him and through his family, God would make this great nation, a nation through whom all other nations of the earth would be blessed. And Abraham had a son, and then that son had a son, and and that son had a lot of sons, and soon this nation began to take shape, and it looked like God's promises were going to come true. And skip forward a few generations to, to King David and his son Solomon. This was kind of the golden age of Israel. These guys, they, they came, they saw, they conquered, they ruled, and it looked as if Israel really would be that great nation that God had foretold so many years ago. Unfortunately, those glory days didn't last very long. And the people turned away from God, and and they weren't faithful on their part of the deal, so God turned away from them. And then over and over again, Israel was conquered and captured and ruled over by other nations, by Babylon, by Persia, and nation after nation after that. And then there was this time... The season in which God said the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, these these prophets to call the people out, to to challenge them, to encourage them, to call them back to faithfulness to God. And and part of what these prophets said, part of what they promised, is that there would be a Savior who would come. One who would fulfill all the promises that God had made. One that would bring the people back into right relationship with God and one another once again. These, prom- these prophets, they, they promised this. They foretold it. They talked. They spoke on behalf of God and, and made sure the people knew that these promises were going to come true. But then one day it stopped. Then one day God went silent. Silent for the next 400 years. And for 400 years, the people 
waited. And frankly, in those 400 years, a lot of people got tired of waiting. In those 400 years, a lot of people got tired of hoping. They doubted. They disbelieved. As far as they could tell, God had turned away from them, and so they turned away from God. But not Zechariah and Elizabeth. They remained faithful. They kept on watching. They kept on waiting for this Savior that had been promised. They were waiting for that Savior, but that's not all they were waiting for. I don't know if you caught this, but Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were also waiting for a child. There's no doubt that they had prayed for that child. They'd prayed and they waited, they waited and they prayed through their 20s, through their 30s, their 40s, maybe even up into their 50s, and nothing. No answer, no child. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they were waiting. And I know. I know a lot of us are waiting today, too. You know, there's the, the single person who's, who's waiting and hoping that God might have marriage in store. But maybe you're kind of beginning to despair. There's the, the married couple who's been waiting to, to conceive a child for months or even years, but nothing seems to happen. There's a woman who waits to find meaningful and significant work and yet can't seem to find it. There's the man who struggles under the incredible weight of depression or anxiety. He's just waiting for a day when it's not so hard to get out of bed in the morning. There's the persons of color who wait for the day when everyone's children will be judged not by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. There's the clumsy, awkward child who's just waiting for the day that he or she gets picked first on the playground. There's the waiting of the elderly senior citizen in a nursing home who's sick and tired and might just be waiting for their day to die. And there's the waiting. Oh my goodness, there is the waiting for all of us for, for some kind of solution, some hoped-for vaccine to end this COVID-19 nightmare. Every single one of us, at some point in our lives, will have a time when we wait. And for some of us, that time is, is now. Author Lewis Smedes writes, Waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope. We wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Waiting may be one of the hardest things we are ever called to do, which is why we need this story. Which is why we need this hope. Because in the waiting, we have a choice. We don't get to choose whether or not we wait, but we can choose to do what we do while we wait. Because see, we can be like the people of Israel. 
in our times of waiting, we can doubt. We can doubt and we can let that doubt lead us away from God. Or we can look to people like Zechariah and Elizabeth who, though I'm sure, had their fair share of of wondering at times, they decided to believe that God was greater than their doubt. And here's how that happened, continuing in verse 8. It said, Once, when he, being Zechariah, was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Remember, we said Zechariah is a priest, right? And this was the custom. The time came for him to go and and take his turn to go stand before the Holy of Holies, to stand before God as the representative of his people, offering up these ancient prayers for, for God's salvation, for God's mercy and forgiveness for the people. And as all the priests before him had been doing for the last 400 years, he asked God to send the the promised one, the the Messiah, this savior they've been waiting for to redeem the people Israel. Then it happened. It happens on this day that this angel of the Lord appears before him and tells him, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. And not just your prayer, Zechariah, not just your personal prayer for a son, as if that wouldn't have been awesome enough, but but your prayer, like plural, universal, your prayer, the prayer all of you, all of Israel have been praying for all of these years. It's been heard, and God is about to answer. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have a son. That, That prayer has been heard, but it's not just any son. They are going to have a son whom this angel says will fulfill one of the last words of prophecy recorded in the Old Testament. It was the prophet Malachi who said it. He said that just before the Messiah arrived, God would send a messenger to prepare the way. A new Elijah who, according to Malachi, would turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. That's what the angel says that Zechariah and Elizabeth's son is going to do. And of course, we now know that's what he did do. We heard a little bit of his story last week. Zechariah and Elizabeth's son came to be known as John the Baptist. And he is the one who prepared the way for Jesus, for the Savior. But there's a journey that Zechariah and Elizabeth have to go on before their story gets there. So we're going to jump back in, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, 
how will I know that this is so? For I'm an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be f fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did not come out, or when he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized he'd seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me. When he looked favorably upon me and took away my disgrace that I have endured among my people. It is indeed hard to wait. When you long for and hope for and pray for, for something or someone and, and, and you don't get anything from God, it's just, it's really easy to doubt. To doubt that God cares. To doubt that God's even there. Which is why I'm really, really grateful that, that God's ability to work in our lives is not dependent on our ability to believe. God is greater than our doubts. So, as we close our, our message today, I, I just want to take a couple minutes here at the end to get really practical with this. Like, to really figure out how to do this. Because I, I know that some of you are waiting, and some of you have been waiting for a very, very long time. And God's been quiet, and it's, it's been hard. So I want to give us two things to think about, two questions that, that often come up in times of waiting. First one is, why do we have to wait? <laughs> why does God sometimes seem to make us wait? And the second one is, well, if it indeed is God who's asking us to wait, how do we do it? How do we faithfully make it through? So first, the why, right? All of us do this. Often in, in times of waiting, we really, we ask ourselves, we ask God, why? Why is God making me wait? Why, why does God make anyone wait? Why not give me an answer now and be done with it? Why do I have to wait to be married, wait to have children, wait to find a job, wait to feel healed and whole, or for the, the loneliness to go away? Why is God making me wait? And while I can't stand here and, and answer with particular to each specific circumstance, what I can say, what I really believe, is that what God does in the waiting is just as or, or possibly more important than what we are waiting for. What God does in us while we wait is just as important as what we are waiting for. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul says that while we are waiting, while we are waiting for God to set all things right, we suffer. Can I get an amen to that? While we are waiting, we, we suffer. But then he says this, he says, but suffering produces endurance. 
Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. God is producing all of these qualities in us as we wait. Waiting is not just something we have to do until we get the thing that we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming who God wants us to be. What God does in us while we wait is just as important as what it is we are waiting for. So then how do we do it? Like How, how believing and trusting that, that God is bigger than our doubts, how do we actively and, and faithfully wait on God? What does it take to wait well? Well, first thing that it takes is, is patient trust. Patient trust. Will I trust that God has good reasons for asking me to wait? Will I remember that, that things look different to God because God views things from an eternal perspective? In one of his letters, the disciple Peter writes this. He says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The story that an economist once read that passage, and he got really, really excited. He, he talked to God. He said, Lord, is it true, he asked, is it true that a thousand years for us is just like one minute to you? And God said, yeah, that's true. So he responded, he said, well, then then a million dollars must be just like a penny to you. And God said, yeah, yeah, that's true. Then the economist replies, well, well, Lord, would you give me one of those pennies? And God replies, all right, just wait here one minute. Too often, we want God's resources, but we do not want God's timing. We, we want the penny, but not the minute. We forget that God's work in us while we wait is as important as what we are waiting for. Patient trust means that, that we wait and as we do, we give God the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's doing. So we need patient trust. And patient trust, well, that's fueled by persistent prayer. It's a whole sermon series worth of material, things we could say about what to pray, how to pray, how all of that works. And perhaps we will preach that series one of these days. But what I want to talk about today, what I want to hold up as kind of a, a model for persistent prayer is the book of Psalms. That Old Testament book of Psalms. They are all prayers, every single one of them, and they are persistent prayers. The people who, who prayed these prayers, they came to God honestly, they came to God boldly, they came to God regularly. They came to God with all of their needs, all of their fears, all of their doubts, everything. And what I love, and what's so clear to me as I read through the Psalms, is how real they are in their prayers. They, they're real, they're persistent, and it's very, very clear that they had relationship with God. 
they talked to God and, and they expected that God talked back. There was kind of, you can kind of tell there's this dialogue going on in the prayers. And so as they prayed, they developed these relationships with God that led them to be able to trust God. So while we're waiting on God, we need that patient trust. And that's fueled by our persistent prayer. You know what? The thing we need the most, the thing I need the most, when I'm waiting, what I need is inextinguishable hope. I need hope. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had, had learned to wait. And, and in their waiting, they found out that God is bigger than their doubts. And I know a lot of us are waiting too. And the good news for us, the hope for us, is that we have something that Zechariah and Elizabeth did not. We have someone that Zechariah and Elizabeth did not. See, we have Jesus. We have Jesus, who we meet at this table that we're going to come to in just a few minutes together today. This table that stands as a reminder to us that it's not about what we have to do, but it's about what has already been done. See, this table shows us it's not our job to hold on to hope, because the truth is hope holds on to us. And so when we come to this table, we remember Jesus. We remember Jesus who sat at that table and broke that bread and poured that cup. And as soon as he did, he went out to pray. And he fell flat on his face and he prayed and he begged and he pleaded, Father, if there's any way it can, let this cup pass from me. He prayed. And then he waited. And he waited and he got no answer. And he got no answer and so he went to that cross. Jesus did all of that for us. Jesus suffered the ultimate pain of waiting, of wondering, of not just feeling separated from his heavenly father, but actually being separated from his father. Jesus did all of that so that we never have to. So we have that hope that even while we wait, we have Jesus. Jesus, who is bigger than all of our